0: Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Joining me today on Trending will be Dr. Ingrid and She's a pro-life OBGYN. She's going to weigh in from a medical perspective on chemical abortion, whether or not the abortion pill is safe. We'll talk about debate surrounding maternal mortality and, re- and abortion statistics, and the impact of abortion on a woman's mental health. Stay with me, we'll talk to her in just a moment. Coming up today on Trending, we're also going to unpack Lance Bass. You may remember him from the boy band era of the late 90s and early o's. In Sync was his band of choice. Actually, I was an In fan, not a Backstreet Boys band fan. Just saying, that's a total side note. I know some people are cringing even thinking about those days, but they are a part of our past. We must admit. Uh, thank you, Jim, for telling me you didn't like neither. I-, I wouldn't expect you to like either one. That's my, that's my producer weighing in, and we've got a Backstreet Boys vote from Patrick, my other producer here on trending. Taking your calls now. Okay, so here's the deal. We're going to talk about the fact that Lance Bass from NSYNC, not the Backstreet Boys, he has had a couple children commissioned a couple children via surrogacy, and he, following on the heels of Khloe Kardashian, has commented on the fact that he really struggled in the first full year of his children's lives to have any affection from him or from them, should I say, hugging nothing. So we're going to talk a little bit about more of the details with people coming out after Khloe Kardashian saying, hey, people aren't exactly honest about surrogacy and even just the relationship between parents Children. That and much more later today on the show. And joining me now, without further ado, is Dr. Ingrid Scott She is a OBGYN. She's a Vice President and Director of Medical Affairs for the Charlotte Lozier Institute, which she is in the thick of research post publishing data on peer-reviewed journals regarding the impact of abortion on the woman in our culture, setting the record straight with real science and psychology. She uses science and statistics to counter the pro-abortion agenda. She's also delivered more than 5,000 babies and has personally cared for women who have been both physically and emotionally harmed from the fallout of their own abortions that they've experienced. So she's joining me today to set the record straight as we hear a lot of debate today surrounding chemical abortion. It makes up more than 50% of all abortions in the country today. I believe it's a far higher rate. And there are a lot of court battles right now you've been hearing about in the news. In fact, the New York Times weighed in on this whole debate over the last couple of months trying to claim that the abortion pill is completely safe and using so-called 101 uh, pieces of data research uh, claiming that it's totally fine we shouldn't be making big fuss about this but the reality is there's a reason there is uh, there are ongoing hearings over the abortion pill today dr ingrid Skop, welcome to trending thank you for joining me what's the latest with regard to the chemical abortion debate right now in the courts
1: Thank you, Timory, for this opportunity to talk about it. I think there's just a lot of things that the American people do not understand. Um, chemical. I've discovered that some people don't even know exactly what a chemical abortion is. It's not the same as emergency contraception or Plan B, which is an action that tries to prevent fertilization after unprotected intercourse has occurred. A chemical abortion happens when a pregnancy is known to exist and it has the intent of ending that unborn human's life. It's two medications. Mifepristone has been fairly tightly regulated by the FDA. It's a hormone blocker. So it blocks progesterone, kills the embryo or the fetus, and it's followed in about 24 hours by mesoprostol that essentially induces labor to express the tissue. Um, We see that the abortion industry is really promoting this to women. They tell them it's safer than Tylenol, which, of course, is not true. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the data deficiencies. There are many. Um, But um, it's it's a very horrible process for women. Um, Women, on average, will bleed more than two weeks. Um, Forty percent will describe the pain as severe. And sadly, many of these women will actually see their child's body in the toilet, um, which I I just can't imagine the emotional trauma Mm -hmm. of that. But, you know, what we see is that it's being promoted um, because there are many advantages for the abortion industry. It's uh, much less expensive than hiring a surgeon. And in fact, they have trouble finding doctors willing to end unborn life. So they have trouble recruiting surgeons. And we also see in the wake of the Dobbs decision um, last summer that this is a way that they're working to circumnavigate state laws. I'm in Texas, we have very great laws protecting unborn life. But you know, I am still caring for women who have had complications from chemical abortions. They're Mm -hmm. coming into the state illegally. Um, um, And um, regarding the um, lawsuit that you mentioned, um, basically, this is an opportunity to hold the FDA accountable to its mission, which is to protect American people from dangerous drugs, we see that the entire process has been politicized. Um, in 2000, when they approved this regimen, they did so by categorizing pregnancy as a life-threatening illness using a special category. Well, of course, it's not. Surgical abortions were widely available. Um, they were, In order to use the category they used, there should have been no other alternative treatment. And we discover that Uh, the complications from chemical abortions are four times as frequently surgical abortions. So even though women think it's somehow safer, it's actually much more dangerous. They point at studies by the abortion industry. um, But the abortion industry tells us about the complications they know about. But in the meantime, since they're telling women it's safer than Tylenol when women have a complication, many times they don't go back to that doctor, as you might imagine, they know they've been misled. Um, so when you look at high quality data, it looks like about one out of 20 women shows up to an emergency room. Are you still there? I thought, thought I this lost you This is significant,
0: Dr. Scope, because as we're talking about what's happening with chemical abortion and the impact of chemical abortion on women, women are not receiving, all of us are not receiving the accurate data, even just what you just said, with regard to the fact that chemical abortion has four times the number of complications than surgical abortion. What's significant about that, and I know you cite this in much of your research, is the fact that we see that there's an underreporting with regard to chemical abortion and surgical abortion. It's the only, truly, that I know of medical procedure that does not require accurate reporting in terms of side effects, uh, repeat emergency room visits or follow-ups if something goes askew or wrong. And it's always interesting to me because when I talk to women who have had abortions, I've worked in the Crisis Pregnancy Center, we've talked to women who are seeking out abortions and they may choose life, praise the Lord, and some choose abortion. But often those who choose abortion still come back into the Arms of the Pregnancy Resource Center for healing and hope after a horrific experience where no one else ever told them, they could consider something else. And what we'd see in the crisis pregnancy centers, what we see on the sidewalk, and I know you see this as well in your work on the front line as a doctor who's cared for women after the the fact, is that many of these women, when they are contacting, whether it's the abortionist who performed the abortion or the Uh, business that was performing or dispensing the abortion pill, they don't get a call back when they're saying, hey, something's wrong with me. We need medical care. Uh, This isn't right. I'm bleeding profusely. And when these situations, the emergent situations after an abortion are taking to a emergency room or hospital, they don't record the data properly. And so you are on the front line really diving into the crisis of what's happening, starting the debate regarding chemical abortion. And I appreciate you make it so clear that these lawsuits over chemical abortion, mifepristone and myoprostol, specifically the first of the two pills, which kills the baby, uh, that this whole debate in the courts right now is over the FDA needing to be held accountable for a very dangerous drug. It's actually not about abortion. It is about abortion to us, but it's about accountability by the FDA and the fact that the FDA, since 2000, over 23 years ago now, has been walking through a an unacceptable uh, allowance of having my mifepristone on the market. And with Mifepristone on the market, from all the deregulations and even the fact that they've taken it from, you can have Mifepristone up until seven weeks, and now it's been 10 weeks and later, and the court's kind of yo-yoing those dates back and forth as the court continues to debate this currently. And now we're seeing even what's happening with the deregulation from COVID, that you no longer need a physician to oversee this. Even back in 2016, it went from you needing three doctor's visits when taking the chemical abortion process. Now you saw only one. And now with the attempt to give it over the counter in the pharmacies, the whole thing is an absolute disaster with regard to chemical abortion. Recently, an article came out a few months ago from the New York Times asking, are abortion pills safe? Now, Dr. Scop. I know you wrote a response piece this week, really reviewing some of the data and the faulty information from the New York Times, who claims they have 101 reviewed studies. Can you walk us through a practical response to those who have seen this and who are saying, hey, the chemical abortion is completely safe?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot to dig into. So I would point your viewers um, to lozierinstitute.org where this paper is, um, it's 20 pages, and it's probably got over 100 references. So it's it's a real deep dive. But basically, the New York Times, as you might imagine, they love euphemisms, safe and effective. What does that mean? If one out of 20 women needs to have surgery in an emergency room, that's not safe, and that's not effective. But they don't even know how to evaluate studies. Like I mentioned earlier, so many women are lost to follow-up In the typical studies that they point at, but if you look at um, high quality, what we call records linkage studies, so we know every abortion that is performed, and then we know every subsequent medical event, we see easily four, five, six times as many complications as the abortion industry tells us that there are, Um, but again, In the United States, there is no mandatory data collection, not the numbers of Mm -hmm. abortions, not the complications from abortions, and not the deaths from abortions. And um, I mean, of course, we can dig into that a lot more. But um, uh, you mentioned where we are now. So the FDA removed the in-person prescribing requirements. Women can actually order this online. They can have it delivered to their mailbox without any medical supervision at all. Mm -hmm. So there is no ultrasound to determine the gestational age. The further along she is, the more pregnancy tissue that needs to be expressed, the more likely she is to fail and need surgery. They're not um, doing an ultrasound to rule out a potentially deadly ectopic pregnancy. These are mm-hmm. 2% of the pregnancies in this. They account for a large percentage of maternal deaths because A woman may think, oh, the pain and bleeding I'm having, is the abortion working? No, it could be a sign that her life is in danger Mm -hmm. and the FDA is allowing that. Um, They don't require labs. We don't don't have Mm -hmm. the opportunity to prevent future pregnancy complications. And unfortunately, we also don't have the ability to know that the person ordering the pills is a woman who wants an abortion. It could be a sex trafficker, an incestuous Mm. abuser a coercive boyfriend. There is no way to verify who is getting these pills and how many women are having unwanted abortions because of the FDA's malfeasance.
0: Not to mention minors as well, minors whose lives are being impacted by a pro-abortion agenda that even parents know have been a part of. I have seen so many people in my peer set who have had abortions, forced pressured abortions as minors. And it's a hidden secret that comes out years later and it damages their interpersonal experiences in dating situations and future marriages, bonding with children, trying to have children. And the fallout is so significant. And the FDA isn't being held accountable on this very simple fact that they completely deregulated and passed all safety regulations and research when they approved mifepristone back in 2000 and multiple times since then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this lawsuit is an opportunity to provide oversight. And I am optimistic. Um, I think when the data is fully known and fully evaluated by the court, they're going to say, absolutely, this is inappropriate to treat women and girls this way.
0: Dr. Scott you highlight a key few elements from the New York Times article that claims that the abortion pill is safe. And if you're just joining us, that's Dr. Ingrid Scott. She's testified before Congress before her state legislator as well. She's a pro-life OBGYN, and she is fighting, giving real science, real statistical data against the pro-abortion agenda. In your response, just published, and we'll post a link as well on social media. It's fantastic. I was reading it all today. You note the impact of understanding some of the key claims that the New York Times article makes that a lot of people are using as their talking points, such as you mentioned earlier that they claim that Tylenol and Viagra are more dangerous to take than the chemical abortion. Can you just briefly disprove that claim alone?
1: Yeah, they're actually comparing deaths from Tylenol overdoses. There's about 600 deaths every year. And of course, Viagra can cause a cardiac death. Um, And, you know, for various reasons, um, we know we're not picking up the deaths related to chemical abortion, particularly, as you mentioned earlier, the women who have mental health complications, who commit suicide, who have high-risk-taking behavior, substance overdose and abuse, accidents. I mean, there's so many things that you could see where if a woman regretted an abortion, which, by the way, a very high-quality study recently showed us that a quarter of women are coerced into their abortion, and two-thirds of women say that their abortion was inconsistent with their values. So I think we can all see those are women who are suffering and are at very high risk for mental health complications. But none of that, of course, is picked up by the CDC. Um, So it's a very dishonest comparison. The mifepristone has a black box warning on it. There's a very rare but potentially very serious and fatal infection that can occur. Well, Tylenol, especially normal use, of course, does not have a black box warning. So, you know, that just goes to show how dishonest they are when they tell women that it's safer than Tylenol. Um, There's a a lot more to discuss. You know, the the definitions are often undefined. What does safe mean? What does effective mean? Mm -hmm. The abortion industry, by the way, considers it effective if it kills the baby. And that happens 97 to 98% of the time. But they don't even care if the woman, and I just recently cared for a woman who had bleeding every day for two months due to dead tissue Uh in her uterus before the surgery that she needed. She called the doctor. She asked for help. They told her, massage your uterus. Mm -hmm. Um, They tried to give her a second dose of the mesoprostol. They clearly did not want to take care of the complication. They kicked the can down the road and dumped her on the emergency room. Well, thankfully, I wasn't there to help her out. But this is the kind of care these women are getting.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's sad. It is so sad because often women do not reach out for medical help. They often won't take themselves to the emergency room. They won't call the ER. I have heard from woman after woman years later who have said, I did this to myself. I recognize it. And some often even believe this is a punishment that they deserve for having tried Mm -hmm. to kill their baby because at the end of the day, Dr. Scott, they know I am pregnant with a child, and so when they suffer these massive, life-threatening complications, they often tell no one. And that is another part of the lack of accounting for the maternal deaths after having taken chemical abortion, among many other things. But I want to highlight one, I think, final point that pointed in your in your um, journal essay that you wrote on this that. At the end of this whole review of the New York Times article, something they never address and why this is so biased is they claim that there are next to no deaths with regard to chemical abortion, completely ignoring the fact that every single chemical abortion includes the death of a child. And And often that's a female child. And that's, I think, a whole part of the conversation that isn't even addressed yet is at the core of this entire debate as well. Abortion hurts a woman and it kills a baby. And that's the fact. If you have a question for Dr. Ingrid Scott she's a pro-life OBGYN setting the record st- straight with science and statistical information to counter the pro-abortion j- agenda. If you have a medical question about abortion, give us a call. The number is 888-914-9149. We're going to be right back with Dr. Ingrid Scott and we'll talk about whether or not abortion should be a- allowed as an exception, for example, to save the life of the mother. We'll also talk about the debate over over maternal mortality and the mental health the impact on a woman's mental health after having an abortion. I'll be right back with OBGYN Dr. Ingrid Scott here on Trending with Timmery. You're listening to Trending with Timmery, where you can discuss what matters most to you, Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. about the latest news regarding surrogacy and in-seek a boy band singer from the 90s and the early o's. Lance his comments about surrogacy. We'll come to that in a little bit but joining me now is Dr. Ingrid Skop. Dr. Ingrid Skopp is a pro-life OBGYN. She's the vice president and director of medical affairs for the Charlotte Lozier Institute and she uses science and statistics to counter the pro-abortion agenda. She's delivered over 5,000 babies but she's also personally cared for for the medical as well as emotional fallout when abortion goes awry for most women. And so we're going to talk about a storming debra- debate right now, Dr. Scott regarding state laws over abortion. We're seeing most states are either... Very pro-life or very pro-abortion, but even the majority of pro-life states, we've seen exceptions for abortion, including the instances of rape or life of the mother. I'd like to talk a little bit about the life of the mother, especially since you're an OBGYN who has delivered countless children in your medical practice of nearly 30 years now. Should abortion law include an exception for the life of the mother? Should that be allowable? Is that necessary for life-saving medical care for women?
1: You know, um, every, as you mentioned, our, our country's about evenly split, about 20, about half of the states have um, uh, passed laws protecting unborn life. The other half seem to really want to just let it happen in any circumstance at any gestational age, which is, of course, a horrible thought. But every law actually does have an exception, allowing an abortion to be performed for the life of the mother. But it's really important to see what's happening. In the wake of the Dobbs decision, the abortion industry has gone into overdrive to frighten people. They know that they really cannot justify and defend the 97% of abortions that are done for economic mm-hmm. and financial reasons. So they're pointing at the really hard cases. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, life of the mother is a very hard thought. Um You know, although um, it's frequently abortion is frequently painted as necessary women's health care, it's important for people to know that about 90 percent of obstetricians do not perform elective abortion. So we know we have two patients. We want to protect the lives of both of our patients. But there have been times in my career where and fortunately, these are quite rare but where the pregnancy poses a significant risk to the mother's life. The the good news is that most of the time when that happens, it's in the second half of the pregnancy when the baby can survive separated from his mother. So my job is relatively straightforward. I'll induce labor or if it's appropriate, do a C-section, separate the child from his mother. That way the mom can begin healing And the child in most cases can be saved. Um, 22 Mm -hmm. weeks out of a 40 week pregnancy is where we often can save a baby. So it's very rare to need to separate the two prior to that time. But if it needs to happen, and there have been times, I would say the most common situation is where the um, water bag breaks extremely early, putting the woman at risk for an infection and women have died from mm-hmm. severe infections in this scenario and many times the baby even if he if the pregnancy does continue many times he does not live so we know that his prognosis is very bad and continuing the pregnancy for the mother can also lead to very bad outcomes but what we've seen is that because many of the pro choice medical organizations in our country are not clearing clarifying the law for the doctors the doctors are very confused and Although I believe, having read all of the laws, that each of these laws allows an intervention, sometimes the doctors are not intervening, um, which is which is quite heartbreaking. But the the good news is it's really rare that that is needed. The other good news is that the legal definition of a, abortion is an action that has the intent to end the unborn life. So even if I Need to perform a separation. My intent is not to kill him. My intent is to save his mother. And do you know the the Catholic doctrine of um, the law of double effect says that sometimes there are actions that will have a good, um, res, you know, a good um, consequence and a bad consequence, and we have to weigh those actions. Um, so, th- so the good news is these laws don't prevent us from helping a mother and saving her life. Um, but the bad news is this is being misrepresented to the American people. And many people right. have subsequently decided that they want the laws to go because they're worried for the women. But, um, mm-hmm. You know, Mm. really, these laws are going to save. Not only are they going to save babies' lives, they're going to save women's lives. Right. We talked earlier about the mental health consequences. Yes, I want to come back on that in just a moment
0: here and talk about mental health. I did want to jump in because you'd mentioned because I know this can be a confusing point for a lot of people. The Catholic principle of the law of double effect, where you know we don't intend for a negative in. A negative outcome to occur, but we choose the positive outcome. And with regard to delivering a baby early, that's very different from intentionally killing the baby so that the mother might be able to receive what healing and treatment she may need versus delivering the baby early. You know, direct Consequence of killing versus early delivery and potentially the baby not surviving. I, I think that's so significant and understanding it's not the Catholic Church saying, yes, you can do this even though something bad's going to happen. It's not direct killing of a baby to deliver a baby early. There's a potential to be able to care and grow and nourish that baby, but there is a potential that delivering a baby early, that baby might not survive. And I think that distinction that you mentioned is so important that I wanted to highlight it. But taking it into the mental health debate, Dr. Scott, and if you're just joining us, that's Dr. Ingrid Skopp. She's a pro-life OBGYN. She's delivered over 5,000 babies and has cared for women who have been impacted physically and emotionally from abortion. You mentioned mental health, Dr. Scop, and I think that's a very significant topic, especially when you're talking about the mental health of women who are in particular circumstances where uh, they might have a life-threatening or negative consequence with regard to their health, and they might think they need abortion. And no one talks about the fact that when you have a woman who is suffering from some medical ailment, from some illness, that usually comes with a struggle, a mental health struggle, a depression as well. If you add abortion into this conversation, you are now vetting a mom against a baby versus honoring that baby and honoring that mom and her motherhood and trying to fight for that baby. And I think that spiral into depression, can you talk a little bit about that difference there with mental health? Yeah, I mean, and we've seen even in these hard cases, like
1: you said, a baby who may not live long or... Um, even uh, uh, rape and incest, there yes. has been a study that has shown a benefit to the woman's mental health for an abortion in that circumstance. Um, those are hard cases. And, um, you know, obviously we could, there's there's a lot of nuance, but the assumption that it would benefit a woman has not been proven. But of course, most of are Undoubtedly, women are in crisis. You know, many times there's there's not a willing partner to raise the child. Finances may be rough, you know, other social factors. But these women, like you alluded to um, in the earlier segment, they're not getting informed consent counseling. They're not being told what other options are available. The states that have recently passed laws protecting unborn life also uniformly are passing laws to support women in crisis pregnancy. Uh, Texas has $200 million alternatives to abortion funding. So you name it, what a woman needs, um, uh, health insurance, housing stability, th- that is available. But these women often don't know. They do find their way into a crisis pregnancy center where women are and and, and workers are ready to wrap their arms around them and give them the emotional financial, material relationship support that they need. And in that situation, most of the time they do choose life. So Mm -hmm. we we see that when women see that there are other alternatives, they often not turn to abortion. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, we see that so many abortions, probably two thirds or more are against a woman's values, many times Mm -hmm. coerced. And so I think we can all recognize That in that situation, the the opportunity, the woman has the rest of her life to live with that decision and the the mental health consequences that can arise are frequent and many. Um, When we look at good quality records linkage studies in European countries, we discover that a woman is six times as likely to commit suicide in the year following an abortion than if she had given birth to that child and, and many other mental health consequences as well. So, so that happens um, um, just maternal mortality in general. It's, it's being promoted erroneously that um, abortion is safer than childbirth. Um, And that is actually based on very, very poor quality data. Um, People don't know that maternal mortality um, is not just what happens at the time of delivery. A quarter of maternal deaths occur earlier in pregnancy And ectopic pregnancy is a common cause of those deaths. And we mentioned earlier that currently with the way the FDA is allowing abortion pills to be given ectopic pregnancy deaths are going to become more common because they're not being screened for Um, half of maternal deaths occur beyond a week up to a full year after delivery. And many, many, many of those are mental health deaths. Um, Mm -hmm. So we can see that from that perspective, Um, widespread abortion increases maternal mortality. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, also this is also hard to think about, but our country is one of seven in the world next to China and North Korea that allows an abortion for any reason at any time in pregnancy. And the CDC documents late abortions are very dangerous. A woman is 76 times as likely to die from an abortion in the second half of pregnancy than if she'd had it in the first um, trimester. Um, these are d procedures. They call them dismemberment. So we don't need to talk too much about that. But you can imagine what that procedure is like. And did you know that some of the doctors doing an abortions are not obstetricians? There is a pediatry ophthalmologist. Um, many of these doctors, it's a career of last resort to do right. late abortions. Right. And so we can imagine the quality is, is very poor at The CDC and the United States in general does not have the desire to detect those deaths, and um, they don't work very hard to try to find out how women are being hurt. And what you just said was so
0: it was so significant what you just said is that it's really the lowest form of medicine practice today when people find themselves getting into performing abortions. And that's why the chemical abortion uptick of over half of all abortions today is in part because of that. Very few doctors actually want to perform abortions. And we're seeing. I remember, in a case here locally in Southern California, the abortionist at the 40 Days for Life a program that we were running, he did not have a medical license at the time. At the time no longer now. You were required to have a medical license as a physician to practice abortion. And no one was cracking down on him. The whistle had been blown. Data was sent to everybody that needed to know in California. They were not cracking down because they wanted to give access to abortion. He perforated a woman's uterus. A sharp instrument went through the back of her, through her back, shot out the backside. She experienced, she was paralyzed uh, and died. I mean, the Mm. the data was horrific. He had no medical license. We had been reporting on him for months. And that Mm -hmm. just goes to show states such as, Illinois, California, Michigan, Vermont, and others currently do not require even a physician with a medical license to perform abortions. And even the abortion clinic that just closed in South Bend, Indiana, they opened a number of years ago without a medical license. The state wouldn't approve it. And they went ahead and opened up anyway and were operating for years without one. This goes to show the lack of accountability for good medical uh, care for women and again, tying that into the mental health crisis, when things go awry, that damages a woman internally and leads to her death.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you just described, I've heard over and over these stories and people say, how can this be? It is. It is the political mm-hmm. nature of abortion in our country that we choose to look the other way. And unfortunately, in California. Uh, you guys have got a real problem on your hand because you're probably a quarter of all the abortions in the country. But we don't know for sure because California refuses okay. to provide any data, even so the numbers of abortions to the federal government. Right. 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 So the abortionists, they you know tell you what they think you want to know and anything else they're going to hide. And um, the American people need to be aware of this and they need to say this is not appropriate. Um, you're right. Every other procedure, even a barber shop is more tightly regulated than abortion clinic. And um, that's just, uh, oh, my goodness, it's 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 horrible care. And and these poor women going back to the late abortions, even the data from the abortion industry tells us that so many of those women, it's indecision and it's partner abandonment that causes them to have those late abortions. So those are children that if we supported the woman, you know, it's, it's not going to be that long before we have a child in the world. And, and I, I'll tell you how many um, patients that I have that would love to adopt a child who cannot find a child to adopt because unfortunately women in abortion clinics consider it more caring to abort their Mm -hmm. child than to give life to it and to give that child, um, um, an opportunity to live with a caring couple that would dearly love a baby. Um, and I, I heard you advertising about the, uh, uh, the surrogates. It, it blends oh, into that discussion yes. that, w- that we have made childbearing a commodity. If we don't mm-hmm. want it, we get rid of it. And if we want yes. it, we will go to great extremes to commission a baby. Right. Um, we've got we've to draw this back in and think about what human life really means, the dignity of a human life.
0: You mentioned our Pregnancy Resource Centers and the role they play. Having worked in them for years, I've seen what happens when a woman is suffering and struggling in her mental health and maybe physically during the pregnancy and how Pregnancy Resource Centers swoop in, giving the necessary mentorship that a woman needs, the necessary provisions, housing, funding for school, babysitters just someone to listen you name it i have seen miracles work to car i remember the director one pregnancy resource center here in southern california had commented i talked to her on the phone at one point last year and i said oh how was your week and she said i bought three cars this week she said that was the barrier that is was in between a mom and her keeping her baby a car i said that's significant Mm -hmm. But that's also that crisis, you know, not being able to commute to school. Parents are saying you don't even have a working car. How can you have a kid? These things that really do weigh as barriers that the pregnancy resource centers have resources available. And so I encourage you, if you are, you know, standing on the front line, if you're helping women, help them understand the resource of the pregnancy resource center. Help them understand if they started a chemical abortion, the resource of abortionpillreversal.com, that once you start, you can stop and save that baby. We've seen thousands of babies saved through this. Dr. Scott thank you for being on the front line as an OBGYN, giving true scientific and statistical information against the claims that lie, that a woman will die if she doesn't have access to abortion, that abortion is safer than childbirth. You really dispel a lot of these arguments that, the, as you mentioned earlier, that the pro-abortion movement is saying, we don't want to explain away why 97% of all abortions are for whatever reason whatsoever having nothing to do with health rape incest etc and so you just help to dispel the toughest questions there are today that people are having on abortion if people want to follow your work where can they find you
1: thank you um so uh lozier l-o-z-i-e-r institute.org um is our website science and statistics for life. Everything you're gonna find there is so well referenced and we touch on every topic. So um, the American public need to educate themselves and they need to educate their friends so that we can really discuss what's actually happening to American women.
0: And there at the Lozier Institute, you have really sound research and data. So if you're trying to have a debate with someone, they say, I don't see these statistics. The New York Times said X. Well, here, we can tell the truth. And this is what your work does. We'll post a link on social media to the Lozier Institute, as well as to some of your articles that we referenced today on the show. I'll be right back to discuss surrogacy and its impact. What happens when parents say, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm struggling to bond with my children who I commissioned to be born via surrogate. We'll be right back here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timree, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149 A couple weeks ago i shared with you Chloe kardashian because i know we all watch the kardashians i don't i don't think i've seen a single episode i'm very very glad of that fact well she shared though on the kickoff episode for this season just a couple weeks ago that the whole surrogacy journey her latest baby with her baby daddy wasn't all that she hoped it would be in the respect that she struggled really struggled to bond with the baby and it all seemed very transactional and how wrong it seemed to remove the baby from the woman who carried the baby all that time so here's the deal she said there's a lot of dishonesty and she wishes people were more candid about the serious Surrogacy debate. And even Kim Kardashian, that episode, weighed in and said, Yeah, you know, there is a difference. There's something different because she carried her first two children, her own body. I can't believe I'm even saying this. And her other children, she has had children via surrogacy as well. And she said, There is something different when you carry your children in your body the connection between baby and mom and how it's good for mom and it's good for baby. Because that's how God designed it. And I'm not just making some faith based argument, but God is the creator of our bodies. He has a blueprint for our bodies. Here's the deal ever since Khloe Kardashian came out saying that other people are sharing about the challenges with their surrogacy journey. Now, InSync Singer, which by the way, InSync was my boy band of choice, not Backstreet Boys, and not one of the others. You can let me know which one was yours. Maybe I'll put a poll up on social media. I would be curious. Anyways. Insync singer Lance Bass struggled to, he shared, to connect with his twins who were born via surrogacy. Now, this is the whole debate over surrogacy. Here's the bottom line. I'm going to call it for what it is. But before I do that, let me say this. Every single child who is born or conceived in this world, we celebrate, honor, love, and respect that baby's life. Regardless of how that child was conceived via third-party reproductive technology such as surrogacy with IVF process, even when a baby's born via the process of rape, that's why we honor it, because there's a life there. It doesn't matter how that baby was conceived, that is a human life, and that is what we fight for. So I say that because children, maybe you yourself were born in this way, maybe your parents were infertile. That that's beside the point here when we talk about whether or not something's right, just because. People were conceived this way doesn't make the child wrong. It makes the process wrong. It makes us adults who are making these choices wrong for having chosen it. So here's what third-party reproductive technology is, IVF and surrogacy. It's all about consumer satisfaction. And that is frightening, but we need to call it for what it is. Here's what Lance Bass and his so-called husband, because he identifies as gay and he's in a so-called marital relationship. You can't have marriage without a man and a woman. Marriage is a sacrament. (laughs) At the end of the day, I think it's very important we emphasize. We need God's grace in order to walk through the journey of marriage because it is challenging. So Lance Bass and his so-called husband uh, actually went through a three-year journey to try and conceive a baby via in vitro fertilization and with a surrogate. They tried for three years doing two rounds of IVF, which, by the way, abortion is a part of the IVF process, selective reduction. Also, you're creating human life in a Petri dish and artificially putting it into a woman who usually isn't the egg donor, the actual biological mother of the child. And so we're putting baby in fragile environments hostile environments, and unnatural environments. So we're being negligent with life because a lot of babies die in the midst of the science experiment to produce a product for a consumer. Here the product is a baby. That's devastating. They actually went through the process of using 10 different egg donors, that is Lance Bass and his so-called husband, in order to get the baby they wanted. Because guess what? It doesn't work that way. Man on man can't make a baby. And so they had to go and look for another way to do this. Again, it's all about consumer satisfaction. Someone's told they can't do something because you're two men and you can't have a baby. Well, they're going to find a way to do it. There's a purpose to children having a mother and a father, and I'm going to get to that in a moment, but I want to emphasize first that this is all about, with regard to third party reproductive technology, it's about consumer satisfaction. It's not about solving an infertility crisis. It's about me or whoever it is wanting a baby and getting that baby, no matter what the cost and damage is to human life along the way. And remember, there's damage to the egg donor. There's damage to the sperm donor. It's damaging to go through and stimulate your ovaries to produce countless eggs at once. It actually sends a woman into menopause. For a man, it can lead to many issues, including erectile dysfunction, in order to produce sperm in that way, and any number of other issues. You also don't even mention the fact that the surrogate, the woman who's carrying the baby, is has her body being artificially enhanced to carry a baby because the process, the creation, the conception of new life didn't occur in her body. It's damaging for her too. And in fact, this is why there are a lot of legal battles today over the surrogate because often the person who's commissioned that baby doesn't want to care for medical bills with regard to the surrogate. This is why they're using via sex trafficking, and the trafficking trade, women from overseas to carry children. It's frightening. The United States has next to no regulation over IVF and surrogacy today. So, okay, back to the main topic. I did have to touch on those things because they are key. This is consumer satisfaction. You have a donor. You have a surrogate. You have male sperm, female sperm, and ideally an output of a baby. Abortion occurs along the way when multiple babies survive in the womb And they use abortion to selectively reduce so that not so many babies come out. Also, again, there's a negligence putting babies in hostile and unnatural environments so babies die in the process. That's like me taking my toddler and saying, you know what? Why don't you walk on the edge of the water with a 20-foot drop right there into the ocean? Go ahead. Go walk there. The baby's not supposed to be there. That's not a child's environment, a safe environment. That's basically what we're doing in the whole surrogacy IVF process. We're being negligible with human life that already exists. Even though it's in the earliest stages of life, for some reason we think that's okay because we can't see little arms, feet, and legs as defined as, let's say, with an eight-month gestating baby or a five-year-old child. Again, it's big people picking on little people, whether it's abortion, surrogacy, or IVF, and that's wrong. That is absolutely wrong. But what happened with Lance Bass and his so-called husband when they decided they want a baby, even though they can't have it because they're two men, well, they went through take 10 egg donors, so damaging 10 women through the process of egg donation. And let me tell you, women are donating their eggs because they need money. Then they went through two rounds of IVF, which means countless lives were lost in the process over the course of three years. And let me just say, countless lives. Now you also have, again, this whole customer satisfaction because Lance Bass is saying, hey, it wasn't all that it was supposed to be. It was not what I expected. You have to listen to some of the things he said in an interview about his children. It is so sad that he even is saying the struggle that has occurred for him and his children, because I think these are things that no one is willing to talk about and address the truth of the matter with regard to children today. So this is what he said in Sing Singer with regard to his surrogacy journey. He said the first year that is of the twins' life, they wouldn't give me any love. He said they never hugged, they never wanted to suggle, and I was so upset about it. So, these kids would not hug him, snuggle him, and they're one year olds. Does anything sound wrong here? For the first full year of these children's lives, nothing. It was a real struggle for him to bond with them. But he did say that he would be upset because they would do all of that with his mom. He said, my mom would come over and boom, they'd snuggle with her. What Lance Bass is sharing is two things consumer dissatisfaction with the surrogacy process that he didn't get the lovey, snuggly little newborn and one-year-old babies that he wanted. He's got probably a two-year-old terrorist because that's what two-year-olds do. They terrorize. And so do three-year-olds. That has to be really hard for him as well as a parent to not get all the gifts that bond you with your children because you bond with your children. You're meant to bond with your children. These children not only were given into the arms of a stranger immediately at birth, but they were lacking the loving presence of a mother Mothers who produce milk to care for their babies. And I know not all moms can uh, can be present to raise their children. This is why we have things such as adoption when a mom can't be there for some reason, something's going on. But I mean, the body produces milk, the oxytocin, the reciprocity between the mother and the baby, and the chemicals and hormones and neurotransmitters that are occurring. These are so important. And you strip a baby. First of all, away from its biological mother and father often in the surrogacy process, but then away from the woman who carried that baby for nine months. Think about that. This is so significant. This is sad because Lance Bass is a consumer saying he was dissatisfied. This wasn't what he thought or hoped it would be. But think about it from the perspective of the child. As Khloe Kardashian said a couple weeks ago on launched launch, the latest season of whatever the Kardashian show is now, She said that it all seemed transactional. She wishes people were more honest about surrogacy. And so here comes NSYNC boy band singer Lance Bass saying, yeah, I didn't get get this. In the first year, they would not give me any love. He said they never hugged. He said they never wanted to snuggle. He continued to go on and say this, that the children's mother, he refers to the children's biological mother as the donor. And he refers to the donor, the egg donor, and the gestational carrier, the surrogate, as angel moms. And he says, "Well, we do still have a relationship with them." He said, "It's crazy because the baby actually does. The babies actually do look like the donor. Yeah, and that baby has the imprint of the parents whose image and likeness they were created in, just as we were created in God's image and likeness." And those babies have a natural born right to their mother and father. And this is so sad that we're allowing babies bonds to be, these babies to be traumatized by being removed from their parents, their relationships to be damaged, their development to be damaged, for it to be so confusing that this child's whole world and identity for nine months being carried in that woman's womb, even though she's being called a surrogate, that this baby is being so far removed from the reality of the gift of what motherhood is and what that child should have a right to. The voice, the heartbeat, the taste, the touch, the smell, all the senses that a baby gets to experience with his or her mother. Lance Bass is indicating clearly his babies were missing that, and they were rejecting the male contact that they were being offered. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Timmery. Did you know that Christianity is on the decline, and in part, it's due because of the lack of fathers present in the home? We'll talk about the value of the father in the home, how to make that happen. And we're going to unpack this question. Are there any studies that link long-time use of the pill birth control with breast cancer or other cancers? I'll answer that and more Wednesday on Trending. Join me daily, 6 p.m. central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.